We're not that contractor that's hard-nosed, that's yelling on the job site. I've seen those contractors and I vowed never to be that contractor. If my faith teaches me anything, it's humility, it's respect, it's love, it's understanding, and especially in the world today, we, there's so many reasons to be hateful and super critical, and that's one thing that I feel like we do really well as a team, and we try to show that culture in our team. People make mistakes, and we can get past this together. So welcome to episode 108 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt, and in this episode, I speak with Dan and Emily Clark, from Clark & Co. in Boise, Idaho. And I was really excited to have Dan and Emily on. It's a unique strategy because, you know, they're designer, they're builder, they do spec homes, they do build a suit. So they just have this amazing dynamic. Of course, husband and wife working together. You know, how do you find that balance for work, personal life, family life? You know, of of course, the couple side of it. But even more importantly, what I really love about their strategy is they talked about monetizing, right? How do you monetize your craft? And not just in a spec home, not just selling a product, but how can that live much longer than the build itself? And for us in construction, that's one element that most of us do not take advantage of, right? And they have a really good strategy to that. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. And I'm very excited today to welcome Dan and Emily Clark with Clark & Co. Homes. Welcome, Dan and Emily. Hi, Brad. Nice to be here. Thanks well, for having us. Well, it's good to see you. And for those that are tuning in on the YouTube, Dan's representing a great hat right now, an AFT hat. So. Only you could see. <laughs> oh, they'll um, see. We'll I think have this you need tag. to start making that merch, Brad, in women's uh, versions. I'm, you know, I my wife told me that. We need to, yeah, I'm going to get some women's version. Don't worry. And, and we need some kids too, because I know my son's yeah. a hat guy. He loves hats. So. We'll start young, right? Start them young. Start that braining. So... Let me start with this because Dan and Emily, I mean, you came down to visit me uh, a couple months ago. We had an awesome visit. It was great to learn more about your business and been fascinating watching from afar as you've grown so much, taking over Boise and you're doing some amazing things on social media. But I guess we'll start here. I mean, how are you surviving this current whirlwind that is the market we know as construction? Yeah, we definitely uh, had to play it different. Um, the, the design and construction industry in the last couple of years has just kind of put us on our back a little bit. I think the biggest thing we tell our clients is we, we try to set the expectation. So there's not as much frustration. Um, I think most, most of the clients that we've dealt with, they understand what's going on and it's an increase in communication. We like to say our team, we just, we have to pivot. We have to be pretty nimble. Uh, when things go awry, when materials are not available. I mean, we've had appliances. How long have we been waiting for some appliances? Eight months, yeah. 12 months. Um, we'll, we'll get notification that they're there. And then they say, oh, it's it's not there. I mean, it's just crazy what's going on. So we never anticipated this. Um, but I think the biggest thing for us is, and, and we've learned this, and, and some good, some not so good, is that with our clients, we have got to to be pretty transparent with what we're seeing and just relay that that communication to them. Yeah, there's a balance there. I mean, I, I've always felt like we're in a position where we kind of shield our clients from a lot of those headaches. That's why they come to us so that we can make everything just feel like beautifully easy and, and wonderful. And and of course, this past year and a half has been uh, hugely challenging. I mean, I would say everything that I learned in the past 10 years of doing business was pretty much out the window, just as we kind of had to 
totally take all those processes, which we had really honed to a great level and really rethink things because, um, you know, you just have the, the supply chain issues every single day and we can spend a year and a half designing a house, but then if it's time to install some of those things and they're no longer available, like that's just, um, going to be a challenge. And like Dan says, we've had to be really nimble and, and have lots of options. And I think setting that expectation with the client that, yeah, we may not, um, where we get to at the end may not be exactly where we thought we were going at the beginning, but in most cases it is better. Um, I think so it just allows us to be creative and really capitalize on that ability. Well, let, let me throw this at you. You said something really interesting, Emily, you talked about shielding our clients and I think that's true. I, I know in construction for the most part, we always did show the clients like there's a lot of chaos we deal with and people until they build their own house don't realize how complicated the construction process is. And there's a lot of technical, there's a lot of management, there's a lot of psychiatry, right? There's just a mm -hmm. lot of things that come and forecasting is one and ordering. And notwithstanding all of us having lived through the chaos, it's been this last year and a half. I'll give a good example. We have a house right now coming up near closing. And so since April of this year, we're in October, I've been asking our superintendent, I've been asking landscaper, do you have all of the product? Do you have all the PVC? Do you have the drains, right? We're going to be doing pavers. Like, are you good to go? And it's constantly, yep, we're good. We got everything. Bill deposit. We got it. Everything's in stock. Okay, perfect. Well, two weeks ago, my super calls me freak out mode, like 911. And he's like, hey, Brad, landscaper doesn't have the PVC for the French drain in the back patio to do the pavers. And I'm like, how's this possible? Like we've been asking them for six yeah. months, like constantly. And then I call them and they're like, well, we didn't have it. I mean, we just, it's always been on the shelf. Like we can go by any time. And I'm like, what? Like, what world are we living in? We already know this is not the case. And it's almost like, well, what do we have to do? Because I've been telling the client, yeah, we're ready. We got everything. We've checked. I mean, across the board, it's a very complicated build. And we do have everything with the exception of this, which now is going to back up our back patio, which backs up. You know, it's cause and effect, right? And so yeah. it's almost embarrassing in a way. I mean, I could say this on the air because the reality is we're all dealing with this and people can relate that without me having to spend more time to go inspect every yard and every company, you know, how is it that you guys are managing that expectation with the client or what expectations are you setting differently to make sure that you don't have that same issue? Well, it's, it's certainly, like you said, it's 10 times more time going into the management side, checking up on things. And even like you say, even when you are being really proactive, I mean, we, we start ordering things the second the contract is signed and I'm talking the appliances and everything and still we'll get to the end of the build and like maybe two days before closing an oven is finally showing up and then oh by the way they dropped it on the way in so now you got to start over i mean that's happened to us twice brad this year like the same oven got dropped twice after waiting and waiting and waiting and so it's just like this constant and i don't know about you but like clients are getting really tired of hearing the COVID excuse like they're just like well can't, how come you can't just figure this out? And it's like, I mean, there are just so many different, um, you know, hands in the, in the pot and, and making sure that, 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 um, all of these parts and things get to where they need to go. And, um, we are, we do try to shield our clients from a lot of that because, 
you don't want to they don't want to have that constant emotional roller coaster right of like this is available this is not available we're going we can't get that light we're going to get i mean so like we're we're on our end trying to find 18 different backup plans for each selection in the home which is like it's exhausting for sure um and i do find that we're we're trying to be much more selective about who we're taking on right now because we want to be able to guarantee you know a certain level of product at the end and and with 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 the project management taking so much longer these days that's that requires less clients i think well let me ask a question for you and dan is one thing that i've toiled with and i'm trying to figure out still is whether you're cost plus, whether you're lump sum, I mean, primarily cost plus, I mean, we've moved to that. But as I'm working through with clients, there's a fine line to going to my vendors where I know increases are happening and saying, hey, do you have price increases? Do you have price increases? Because that opens the door. Or now, oh yeah, I've had a price increase. So here's this, you know, and they pass on. So there's that fine line to opening the door and giving them that open ticket, but also having enough leeway to, for the client to make the decision, hey, there's a price increase coming, this is coming. We need to communicate this, either we're good with it, or we need to reselect, or find something else, or VE, right, value engineer it. How are you handling that? I mean, are you doing that a lot from your end? Yeah, I think, like, well, to, to kind of backpedal a little bit, what you're saying is, is these clients, I think the biggest value system they have is time and money. So we're trying to figure out <clears throat> how to respect that. Um, like you're saying, we used to just pick it off the shelf and order it a couple weeks before, or maybe it's two months before. And now it's not even that it's, it's this ration system like, oh, we needed this dishwasher at another job and it was ahead of yours. So we used it and now we can't replace it and it's going to delay everything. We're seeing that a lot. It's, it's not quite robbing Peter to pay Paul, but it's like this weird, um, transition of material availability and, and we just call it, it's a ration system. So when it comes down to money, we do mostly fixed cost, if not almost 100%, but it's caused us to be uh, rethink it a little bit. And I think it comes down to how you contract it. We've had to completely change over our contracts where it addresses any shortages, uh, material increase costs. And, and so your contract is this almost subjective, like blank statement that if anything changes cost, we're going to we're going to hand it over to you and and then ultimately you can decide what you want to do but in a fixed cost scenario you've kind of been shielding the client from any of those price increases and you just kind of hedge your bets and say this is your price and and we move forward now we're making these contracts to protect everybody um and and I think for the most part clients respect that they understand what's going on but it, again it's just the nature of the situation that we're in as contractors and facilitating all the different moving parts of this cog and and really, it comes down to being able to produce a product that everybody's happy about and, and ultimately that the client is happy to call home. And, and the, the cost increases that we're seeing is probably one of the biggest obstacles because they're astronomical. Uh, we've got companies that it's kind of the running joke in our office. On a weekly basis, we count how many price increases that we've received from them. And, and it's kind of tapered down a little bit. And I think it's a seasonal thing. The summer was just crazy. As we all know, the lumber prices were just through the roof. Um, but at a, at a moment there where supply and demand was so crazy, uh, we just couldn't keep up with the price increases. So I think we're, we're past that, at least in our market, on a temporary basis. And right now, I think the biggest obstacle we're seeing is just product availability. We have still huge wait times, garage doors, 
we've been meeting with them a few times now, just trying to figure out what manufacturer is is able to produce a product and get it to us in a reasonable time frame. Uh, we've been we had one client. They said their doors will come back in in eight months, and it, you know, so we've had to change that selection. So um, it's kind of the new norm. You get these these responses from vendors, and and they're just saying the same thing. We're doing all we can do. It's on the slow boat from China, and it's stuck at the bay in California. Whatever. It fell off the boat. Yeah, we've heard <laughs> it all, and ocean. and unfortunately, it's you can't make this stuff up. It's so. stuck in Long Beach. At the <laughs> yeah. Port. yeah. So let me and ask now you this: an though, oil Dan. spill. I yeah. Mean, whatever. So with with the fixed, pl- I mean, it's. It's a little convoluted. So when you're looking at this as a you know a fixed price for the contracts you're using, and we can kind of get into your operation a little bit to understand why you do it that way. But do you have an escalation clause? I mean, how are you are, are you highlighting lumber, steel, PVC, you know, w- whatever maybe appliances, and just saying, hey, all of these are prone to increase or decrease. Are you passing the savings on? Or are you passing just the increases? I mean, how does that work so that the client feels, hey, Dan and Emily are still taking the best care of me. And how are you setting those expectations? Yeah, it is an escalation clause. And we we have some verbiage that is kind of industry standard right now in the market that I think has been passed around in our uh, network of builders quite readily. Uh, And it it addresses it on a percentage basis. So I think we all as builders have a contingency where things come up and we want to shield and we want to protect them as much as possible. I The last thing we want to do is pass on these price increases. And honestly, I do feel like sometimes these clients are just signing these contracts and they don't understand everything, even though we might go over it or it might not apply to them. Um, so so we do try to shield them from the, the pennies and nickels that might happen, but it's the bigger things, the lumber, the um, we were seeing metal increases like crazy. So, and, and Again, it's not it's not dollar for dollar, but but we just indicate if this if this exceeds a certain percentage, we're going to be in talks with you and and you can let us know what you want to do. The second part of that answer, I would say, is we've also in our business, it's just been a crazy, I'd say, two years for us. We, We we basically have filled the pipeline for two, one and a half, maybe two years in advance. So this year has been has been an interesting year where we've had stuff in in the works. Uh, fortunately, many of the projects we've actually contracted and, and fixed priced uh, with some of these escalation clauses. Not everything. So we're still licking some wounds. But um, I think for the most part, we've we've kind of kept some of our projects not knowing what's happening and what's going to happen. And one of the best things that we've done is been able to kind of sandbag a couple of our projects and not sell them and produce a product and then put it out to market. And that's actually been a blessing for us where we can actually control the situation. We don't have a client to report to. And again, we're, we're fortunate to be able to do that. That's not very, uh, you know, it's it's risky, I guess. Um, but we're now able to put forth a couple projects in this fall season where they've basically been concept homes, which is what we really love to do. And we put it out there and we, we try to get into the mind of the universal buyer as far as design and practicality and efficiency and location and all those things and we're putting out a product that we just haven't had to deal with a client on this roller coaster so um having said that we definitely have some clients that have rode that roller coaster and and i think a couple of them are just ready to to jump off so (laughs) it's been crazy well there's ups and downs for sure 
Well, it's interesting. So, I mean, you mentioned that. I mean, what percentage of your company is build a suit and the other speculative? Um, we, I would say right now we're trying to push a little bit more of a spec concept in our company. We feel our, our ideal and things that we enjoy doing and excel at doing is producing a product that we uh, feel confident enough to put it out there at a, at a stage in the process and say, hey, we'd love to have you come and play in our sandbox or this is finished, come in and, and purchase it. So I'd say right now we're doing a little bit more. Sp- it's kind of a hybrid spec, isn't it? It's it's we will put together a complete design We'll make the floor plan. We'll, in some cases, we have built it before, and we'll put renderings out there if it's not finished, and we'll put it to market, and we'll say, "This is what we're doing. Are you interested?" And and that's the market we're in. Of course, they're interested. Um, they don't they don't have any say. Uh, and if if there's very important things, we'll listen to that. Um, but for the most part, they're just kind of enamored with the emotions of the design and what we put together and the the imagery, and we're able to sell off of that. Um, it's a little bit of a, if you build it, they will come mentality, you know? Um, I think that that's kind of been one of the main things that has differentiated us from other builders in the area is, you know, a few years ago, we kind of put a real strong emphasis in, um, designing our own product that had, had a real strong aesthetic that was, um, different from everybody else's and, uh, recognizably so we we made a commitment to building our brand and so that's where where Dan refers to those concept homes they're they're a little more than your um, average spec home it's not like we're just kind of cranking out the same plan over and over again these are um, highly customized homes with all the bells and whistles and we're really dreaming big as we put the designs together and showing um, the market what we can do um, and then, you know, and then opening that, that product up to the market to see, you know, who, who would like to buy into that dream with us. Um, <clears throat> and so I think by doing that, we have been able to, um, progressively show, you know, what we want to do and attract the kind of clients that are into that, uh, niche as well. I mean, it's, it's like, you can't be everything to everyone and I don't want to be everything to everyone. I have a really, um, distinct design aesthetic coming up, coming from a new England background. Um, I'm here in Boise, Idaho. I want to bring that very historical kind of classic American, um, uh, architecture here to Boise. And that's kind of my point of view. And so, I, I just feel like it's it's our strength to be able to have a few of these um, projects per year where we can really have complete creative control of the vision and everything. And, and um, you know, and like Dan says, capitalize on that emotion when people walk in the door and they're like, wow, I like I haven't seen anything like this here before. Um, and and it feels like a home. I mean. Dan and I are parents of five kids. We we know what it, what challenges people are facing um, for homeowners and and growing families. And I I think we approach all of our designs with that mindset and and how can we solve these issues that we encounter in our own spaces. And so we're definitely we're definitely curious about how people live, how our clients live, and wanting to answer you know some of those so those pain points for them. 
It's interesting. I'm going to come back to that because I will say you're doing something right because it seems every time I turn on Instagram, there's a Clark and Co. picture going viral from from every account. <laughs> so we'll come back to that, especially, you know, you understand how to use the house, how to work, live through it, being married, five kids, designing, building. But I want to, what's interesting about your formula that really caught my attention is, you know, most spec builders I speak with, we all understand the risk reward, right? The, the benefit of spec is you have the creativity, you don't have all the changes, you don't have the emotions, so you can go. You can make practical decisions, keep the project moving. The risk is, do we sell it at frame? Do we sell it at slab? Do we sell it when it's only completed and furnished? You know, ideally, if it's furnished, you know, purchase price will probably be better because it's furnished. People see it done, it's turnkey, they move right in. But the risk is, I mean, the economy could change at that point and you're waiting and you have all these carrying costs. But what's interesting is, so you're not opposed to sell it at different stages, but the hook is that, hey, we nailed the design. This is it. There's no changes. And I think that's the biggest drawback. A lot of builders are like, well, I don't really want to sell at a frame stage because then the client's still going to come in and make these changes. And some builders are like, look, I'll sell the house at drywall. Once it's drywalled, because it's really hard for them to make changes. So now it's just cosmetic. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you get a lot of pushback where clients are like, okay, Dan and Emily, I love this concept, but. <laughs> Not really. I mean, wouldn't well, you say like the, the, the market in Boise yeah, at this point is like. differentiating factor is it's, it's been crazy. As you know, Boise's somewhat on these weird top 10 lists. And now we're on the reverse of that. We're overvalued. And, and so I think for us, um, when we put something together, we kind of put it all out there and, and have, you know, we're putting in steam showers and we're putting in outlets for bidets. I mean, they're nice features so that somebody could come in and curate a look or, or an aesthetic that, or even just a practical feature that they maybe didn't specifically ask for. So I think for the most part, we're kind of checking every box for a universality approach to these things. Um, there's, I wouldn't say there's pushback because of the market. Yes, in, in maybe a softer market, we might get somebody to say, can you add a pergola or some kind of hardscaping in the backyard? And, and right now, we just say no. And in a softer market, we'd say, yeah, we'll take, we'll take some orders. Or we'll, we'll, what level of customization, customization would we be comfortable doing given our workload, the demand? Hey, we've got five people behind you. We don't need to take these orders. I mean, last year we had a client that just said, I'm at the bank, I drove by the house and I'm putting 25,000 in your account. I just need first rider refusal. And that's that was indicative of the market that we were in. And, and so we're just sitting there laughing like, okay, you know what? Hey, you, you win, that's a great strategy and we will listen to your request. And it's been a great thing where they just said, we just, we love what you do. We have a house available. We hadn't even marketed it, but well, I think you know, the market- interest- is well, bizarre. Yeah, what's interesting, Dan, about that, I mean, even like your example of the pergola, it's not like you are just saying bullish on the market. Hey, we know it's a seller's market. It's more, there's also a reality to, we know the labor, we know the workforce, we know the supply chain. And so for us to be successful, like we have to keep within this envelope, because if we start adding all these things, it's going to delay it. I may not get it done. We're going to delay closing. I mean, it's very complicated that I, I think a lot of buyers may not totally understand. Yeah. For sure. I think one of the things I've I've learned just in the process, I've been in this for almost 15 years now. Uh, you know, when somebody gives me a menu from Cheesecake Factory, it's just overwhelming. <laughs> it's anxiety producing. And, and I just, I think there's an element of, of truth to that same concept in home building and design. You, I mean, maybe not so much now because there's just not a lot of product available, but 
I mean, you could just go crazy trying to figure out what the best selection uh, process or or the design portfolio and, and having every Pinterest board and it's just, this is it, this is 100%. It'll never be that. It's just gonna produce a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And so for us, I think that business plan that we've had is just to say, I think this home will work for you. Maybe there's one or two, 2% of things uh, over the course of, of the build that you'd wanna change. But I think for the most part, people are saying, this is this is this works. This is great. And and we're taking that stress. And again, it's it's working to our ideals as well. I feel like we know what our strengths are. Uh, we, we definitely have to know what the market is willing to bear and what what clients are thinking. So there's that part of it. But I think our ideal is something that we're really honing in on in our brand and our process. Well, we're curating. I, the yeah, project, curating, right? You know? Is that yeah. so? I, I don't like to think of it as the cheesecake menu versus the you know, but it's like, it's like the prefix menu, right? Like the the chef has decided what are the best ingredients available right now, and we will put them together in a way that's going to have the best result. Versus somebody coming to me and saying, "Well, I've got a tomato, and I've got a potato, and I'm and what can you make out of this?" Right? Like that's the whole point of our uh, design build being under the same roof is that we've seen all the things and we're curating, you know, based on uh, a sensitivity to their budget, budget numbers and the function, functional um, requirements that they have for their family. We're taking all of those in- things into consideration and saying, here's the best product that we can give you based on all of those factors. And then also throwing in <clears throat> COVID supply chain things uh, as along, you know, along with that and figuring that all out for them um, and largely just trying to keep them out of the roller coaster of emotion that kind of can really derail the home building process. Well, one of the advantages, right? You're doing all of your in-house design and building. Right. And yeah, we so- start floor plans, everything all starts within our um, company. So how does that handoff work between the two of you? Um, well, so I'm definitely over the design arm and Dan is over the construction and the financing arm. I think what Brad's asking is what, what are the hot topics? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, our, our team, it's pretty comical. They'll at a, at a meeting, we'll have a discussion and they'll say, uh Oh, mom and dad are fighting and it's not a fight, but it's definitely, you know, she has her thoughts and I have mine. That's true. There, there are definitely, um, you know, cost categories where I would prefer to put more dollars and, and Dan may not be quite as comfortable with that assessment, but yeah, we definitely have to, I think for the most part, we're very much on the same page, but there are every once in a while, there are a few things that'll come up that I, I, I might really fight for and vice versa. Now we're super excited. Welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. 
Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. And then as far as when you're looking at that, just the dynamic there of, you know, husband, wife, designer, builder, which can be complicated in its own right, you know, uh, working together, there's a lot of complication, five kids. I mean, I, I still don't know how you both do it, but when you start looking at the cost of doing a spec, I mean, are these self-funded without getting any personal financials? Are you working with outside investment groups? You know, how do you work through that? Because that I'm sure has a little bit of an impact on on what you're selecting, Emily, and how you want you know the aesthetic to be to what Dan's like projecting cost wise. Yeah, I mean, we we started out with private money, um, and for the most part, we we just work with a, a kind of a small town bank that is more relationship based, which has been a, a huge blessing. Um, I think we've been doing it enough to know what are each other's strengths and and weaknesses. And I think for me, the sooner I realized what Emily was doing, it was kind of that concept of if she builds it, they will come. That was the the moment where I I could step back and say, you know, I just got to bite my tongue. I'm I'm going to pick my battle. This is not the hill I'm going to die on Mm -hmm. because I can see the bigger picture. I can see down the road, so to speak. And I feel like, um, that that has taken a little bit of 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 navigating of course it has we've just trial and error and learned but um what she does and i think one of the times i remember learning that lesson was we did a, a concept home probably six years ago and it was right after uh, magnolia um chip and joe were huge obviously we even reached out to him and said hey we love this farmhouse that we just did we'd love you to be with us and thinking that that was a thing. And <laughs> and the reaction that we got from it was incredible, even to this day. And yes, we were playing off that farmhouse style, but what Emily did with that design, I just kind of sat back and, and it was it was just, again, a testament to what she does. And, and the reactions from the public was just crazy. So I felt like, okay, it kind of put me in my place as far as some of the things that we maybe even discussed. And, and ultimately I think I gave in to most of them, but, um, (laughs) she's just, she's just, yeah. Happy wife, happy life. She's amazing (laughs) at what she does. I do try to just shut my mouth for the most part. There's a couple things where I like to just get her goat, you know, and I just like push it and I'm like, yeah, let's just see where this goes. Let's see if I can actually get a mark on the board. It's been a while. So, well, I think that he recognized, I mean, in that one particular project that there was, there was more, there was a monetary value, um, to be said for like the residual, benefit of that project, not just, you know, not just selling it when it was done and the profit that that's there to be made from that one particular project, but also the ability to use that project in our marketing, in um, creating digital downloads of that prod- product. Um, 
it's it's still to this day when I post photos from that project on our Instagram, it gets the highest engagement. Um, it is it is the number one traffic builder to our website that project. So there's definitely like some of these concept homes they they um, they pay off in ways that you may not like expect right at the beginning, right? It's like in a non traditional type type of um, of profit later, and so. So I think that 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 particular project allowed Dan to kind of trust that if I'm if I want to do some kind of a crazy out there idea for Boise, like it's not just the Boise market that we're selling to. We're we're also opening it up to our you know social audience and um, you know starting the the broader conversation about it and and getting getting some buzz that way. So. I think well, that that's, and I want to that's touch made on a big that difference too, Emily. for us. Yeah, I think this is one of the most genius parts of your operation. And I remember you speaking about this when you were with me. In fact, you got a notification when you were with me of a digital download, which we'll talk oh, about. Yeah. But <laughs> it's genius. I mean, I know you've, you've been published and you've had um, a lot of print media speak about this aspect of your business because, you know, for companies to be successful, a lot of us in construction, the hardest part is, you know, we're paper contractors for the most part. Most contractors are that way. And you think about, well, what, what do we have behind us? What's the brick and mortar? Do, do we have a building? Do we own it? Do we have tenants, right? Do we have equipment? You know, how do we lease that out? How do we have specs? Do we have land? Do we have other things that are actual assets to the company that help that, you know, as construction ebbs and flows, what's going to be the backing and what's interesting that I want you to talk about, you talk about digital downloads. And for those listening, what you've done is you've created a marketplace, plans, design specs where people can go on, they can purchase that. And you're with me and someone purchased something right there when you're with me. And it's just, residual income, right? It's it's finding a way yeah. to tap another resource outside of just a sell of that home. Yeah, and I think it, I mean, it kind of came about um, organically for us. I mean, we, what we were noticing is with this one particular project that really blew up is um, we were getting a ton of DMs and phone calls even to our office about where can I get that light fixture, where can I get that paint color? Or, you know, how can you tell me more about like, how, how can you build this from me? And I'm in Tennessee and you're in Idaho and, and, and could you, um, you know, modify your plans for me. And so for us, it was like, well, we can either just decide to ignore this, all of this, um, uh, interest, or we can figure out a way to monetize that. And so basically all we did, and it, it didn't, you know, require a huge investment in time for us was just to, to basically take our design book, um, our finished schedule or whatever, and, and put it into an attractive PDF document that people then could say, sure, you want, you want the selections for the kitchen, um, plumbing, lighting, cabinet, hardware, paint colors, tile, all of that. It's here. It's available for you. This is the cost for immediate download. Um, oh, and, and you want the plan too, or maybe you just want to study it. Here's the cost for the study set. Maybe you're getting a little more serious. You want the dimensioned set. Here's the cost for that. We're still not putting out, um, the, the construction, like a hundred percent buildable construction documents. Cause we're not really looking to, you know, know every single building code that's out there, but it really does give people a jumping off spot spot so they can take that plan to their um, drafter or architect of choice um, and they've got the license to 
then customize that further and, you know, build it in a way that's going to make a lot more sense for their whatever locale that they're building it in. So it's kind of, there's different levels. And, and like you said, it's passive income. It didn't require a lot on our end to put those packages together. They live on our website and yeah, it's nice to just be out to dinner and get an email saying, Hey, look, there's 500 bucks in your bank account. I guess we'll, I guess we'll get that other appetizer while we're here. (laughs) Well, what's really smart, I mean, as you think about that, especially in this day and age, I know you've spoken about this, Emily. Um, one of the articles I read is that, you know, most people struggle with, you know, that you look at social media and there's a way with social media that, yeah, you can have a shop or you can have swipe up links in your stories or maybe in your profile. But it, it's it's not that it's rare. It's just not as common, you know, for most of us to have people swipe up and actually go through and follow that. Whereas you've done this, you now, all the DMs that you get, hey, what's that paint color? You have a way to monetize that word. And now it's directed into your website too, which is even better for your SEO content. People staying on your webpage, yeah. which is going to help your, your Google site traffic. Yeah. And one of the other tools that's made a big difference in our being able to do that is um, shooting virtual tours of our finished concept homes. So um, in fact, right now our son does those for us. He's, he's 17. We're, we're training him up to be a part of Clark and co. And, um, <clears throat> he'll take the Matterport camera into the home and, and shoot it from all of the, you know, the three, six with the 360 camera. And then once the, all of those images get put together, people can go to our website and really, walk through that home and pause and and look up and down and see all of the different finishes and really feel like that they are in the home. So um, that has helped us for for attracting new clients and that has helped us to be able to sell the plans because even if you can't come here to Idaho to see that home, you can kind of view it from the comfort of your own home. And then, you know, when COVID happened, that was a huge benefit for us because, I mean, I would say 90% of our buyers right now are coming to us from out of town anyway. So they can, from their home, tour tour our homes and kind of get a good idea of um, what kind of a product we produce. And um, so, yeah, we're trying to stay on the the cutting edge with with builder, you know, technology and imaging and being able to model things um, and, and be able to work with clients from all over the place, not just Idaho. So amazing. I mean, it's just incredible that business plan. And so, you know, moving forward, have you ever had any pushback from clients saying, well, I bought this home, you know, so I own the rights to that? Or does it help being that you are, you know, doing your own speculative work and your own projects and everything in house? Um, yeah. So all of those digital products are put together for our um, concept homes. So I'm not selling a design package for a custom client. Like if if a client comes to us to build a custom home and I've put together that package for them, that's unique for them. That's that's what they've paid us to do. And I'm not going to then turn that around and sell that to other people for as a download project. So I'm only doing that for the projects that have started completely unattached to any other client, they're 100% my own um, decisions as far as the the finishes and the look and the plan of the home. Um, and that way there's nobody to feel sort of like, like their custom thing got diluted by being built many times by other people. So you mentioned you had this New England charm, right? From where you, what was it New England or Maine or... You had mentioned, and so where does, you know, where does that inspiration continue from? I mean, do you travel? I mean, how do you continue to update that so that you, 
I know Dan mentioned this early on, making sure that you're hitting the mark, right? They're hitting that key demographic. So, you know, how does that inspiration mm-hmm. continue to make sure you're right where you need to be? So, yes, I grew up in Maine um, and a lot of history in Maine, a, a lot of homes that are 100, you know, 100 plus years old that belong to my friends. And so I was um, exposed to that that level of crafts, craftsmanship that you would find in older homes um, from an early age and and really just classic details like in the millwork and, you know, things that were that were done by real um, genuine craftsmen that I felt like can get lost easily, especially in a market like Boise where homes are going up so quickly, it would be easy to just churn them out and not really um, think about the legacy of that home. Um, And so that's something from my perspective, I want want to design a home that I feel like is gonna look great 20 years after I've built it and then maybe even 100 years. I want um, to think about a home in a way that, you know, people don't have to to live in that home for 10 years and then move on. I want that home to be flexible and to have elements in it um, more and more these days that are multi-generational that might allow a family to live there and age in place and um, or even become, you know, a legacy for their children. Um, so that definitely informs the kind of homes that I'm designing. Um, and I think uh, you know, Dan and I love to travel. He, he's like my number one travel agent. He knows every flight going to everywhere and he gets the best deals. And we just, that's our favorite thing to do is travel around the country. And especially, um, you know, look at how people build wherever we're at, or, you know, even internationally, how do people build? How do they live? What can we take from, you know, um, some of these homes that are not even a hundred years old, but maybe two and 300 years old, like you would see in Europe and, you know, what lessons can we learn? And that's just something that we have always shared and really love to do together. Yeah, we were in, uh, well, we did like South Carolina, like it's not just New England coastal themed. I think just classic timeless architecture, whether it's in the United States or foreign, we just got back from Paris a few weeks ago and just admiring the architecture internationally has just been, again, meeting that travel love that we have, but also at the same time we can uh, call it a business trip and do an architectural <laughs> tour. And it's just awesome to see what's out there in the world because Boise, Idaho is, you know, pushing 200 years old. And and honestly, our oldest dwelling is a, a prison or something. So <laughs> we really got to push the envelope over here and, and it's resonated really well. It's interesting. So I know when you came to visit us, you know, you, you met with me as well, some other builders in Scottsdale. How often are you networking with other builders? Are you part of any builder groups? I mean, how are you continuing you know, just the expertise you have, you know, that you're bringing back to Boise. Yeah, that's been a huge um, asset for us. And, and just the alliance that we have, I think builders, we it's a, it's a pretty solitary uh, operation sometimes. And as much as we'd love to be able to commiserate and, and have therapy sessions in our Boise builder group, to some extent, you know, you, you respect the line of, of too much information. So we have uh, we have membership in the National Association of Home Builders Builder Twenty Club, which has been amazing. So it's builders outside of of your market of influence um, throughout the country, where we have similar uh, levels of production, similar level uh, product um, that we produce, and where we can meet together twice a year in in each other's um, markets. 
and help them. But at the same time, we can help each other um, deal with the things that we're going through. We're heading to Dallas in, in a week, I think. And um, and those those groups have been so beneficial. Um, and then we, we are also part of some buying groups, um, CBUSA. Some of those um, alliances have been great where we can network on a financial, more of a financial base. Um, so yeah, those, those operations highly recommend them to those builders that are still finding their way. Um, another one that has just not been something we anticipated, but I, I worked with Donnie Wyatt from co-construct, which he's been, I, I think he's sailing off into the sunset. I don't know, but, um, obviously, um, builder trend has, has purchased them, but I just remember working with him at, at the infancy of co-construct and, and that concept really resonated with me, but I've just grown a huge base of, of allies in that network as well that have helped me through the years. Um, we, we're huge believers of the co-construct slash, I'll say co-construct, I have never used Builder Trend, but it's turning into Builder Trend. And it's just been a great resource for our operation for us and for our clients. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, going back to CBSA, I think that's where we met the first time. You both were down here in Scottsdale that's for right. CBSA. We met there. That's right. And uh, that's been a great group for us too. And I know a lot of people are asking, well, how can I find a mentor? That's one of the questions I get a lot, you know, through social media mentoring. Um, and I'll give a good example because I know you're friends with Colum Holmes, who's here locally. And because they were part of the original Coke and Truck team. And, you know, I've always mm -hmm. been on Builder Trend and done a lot with Builder Trend. Um, now they're all the same company, of course, being the Builder Trend purchase Coke and Truck and CBUSA. But what I tell people, right. I mean, Rob had pulled me aside. He said, hey, Brad, and he had told me about the Build of 20. You should be part of it. It had changed his career. He had worked with, you know, Magleby and Park City and some other companies around the country. And uh, shortly thereafter, that I was invited to be in one. And, and I just came back from mine that was in Pennsylvania. But it, it, you know, I don't think most people realize construction is such a difficult industry, right? And it, it's, it's very difficult. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of challenges that we all have. There's a lot of pricing requests. There's a lot of expectations set with the client, a lot of demands. And it's hard to convey those. But as you get the confidence and as you learn how they're doing that in other markets, and it goes into the building science side too, right? As you tour other homes, as you mentioned, Dan, you're going to these other markets, seeing how they build, seeing how they construct. And Emily, you mentioned that too, that now you get a, a flavor of the design, you get a flavor of how they build. And and also just how do you structure a company? I mean, as we said, brick and mortar, how do you structure your 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 structure with your clients? How do you bill? How do you make sure that you have enough for, you know, taxes and insurance and all the things that come along with with what we do in this industry and even the legal side in it? Because it can be very overwhelming to most people. Yeah, for sure. It's made a huge difference to us. I mean, just to have that level level of um, camaraderie with other people that are going through the similar things that you're going through. I mean, I know I know when, when COVID first started um, shutting things down, it was great for us to hop on a, a Zoom call with a bunch of other um, co-construct founder type level builders and, and just talk about how are we handling this? You know, what are some strategies that you think we need to put in place with our business right now and, and um, in taking care of our employees and our clients and making sure that we, you know, are, are doing things safely. Um, so, so having that network in place and that, uh, um, that sort of wealth of, of years and years of knowledge and of different situations, um, it's, it's makes a huge difference. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you have those elements of just 
plain old therapy uh, <laughs> in your Builder 20 Club too, where it's just it's just nice to see each other and and say, hey, you know, you made it through another year. Good for you. And uh, it's good to see you looking so good. So, in fact, we're uh, we're even um, going into business a little bit with one of our other builder um builders out there in Waco, he's taking some of our plans and building them down there. So that's always kind of fun to see too, kind of how, how far your influence can spread when kind of people peel that or pool their resources. So how does it work now that you've, I don't want to say exploded, but you've grown tremendously on social media. You've done a great job with that. You know, Emily, I, I know you're behind that. So how does it work with vendors? I know, you know, you and I were speaking with Pella. I know Pella was up there visiting you and doing some yeah. amazing things as they're in the Boise market as well as here in Phoenix. And they've been a great resource and ally for us. I mean, how's that working from the vendor side for you? Yeah. So, um, you're right. We've, we've experienced quite a lot of growth over social media, even just in the last year and a half. Um, I think it's been really to our benefit that people have been on their phones more than ever before. Right. So, um, we've definitely seen our following grow and I have always tried to be really conservative in, um, you know, what brand partners that we will ally, ally ourselves with. Um, I'm sure like you, Brad, I get a ton of DMs and people reaching out that want to provide product in exchange for, you know, mentioning them on their page. And it's, it's, you know, stuff that has nothing to do with anything. And I, and I, I kind of, as an Instagram user, I know what that feels like to be following someone and really enjoying it. And then they, they make that switch where they're all of a sudden talking about their favorite toothbrush. And then I'm like, Oh my gosh, now, now, now everything's going to be an ad. And I don't, I don't ever want our, um, social channels to feel that way. I think if, if I'm going to talk about a brand on our page, then it's going to be somebody that I've got personal experience with that we've used their product and we love their product. And we would talk about it, whether we were, you know, being, um, asked to promote it or not, you know? So, so brands like Pella have been, um, <clears throat> you know, brands that we've used for years and really stand behind, um, they stand behind their own product and their legacy brands and they, and they, um, their company culture and everything is, is impressive to us. So those are, those are the kind of people I want to kind of lift up. And I think, I think that has a much more authentic ring to it for our audience. They want to know about, you know, who, who do we love and why, because we've been in this business long enough that we've got some favorites for sure. And, um, so I do try to be really careful about that. And I know you do too. Well, I know that authenticity is super key, right? To all of our businesses and, and bringing value to the client, right? And even outside of just the mention, I mean, I look, you know, Kohler and Builder Trend, uh, you know, Pella, some of these brands I work with where Sub-Zero Wolf, if I need something like it's direct, right? That there's a direct connection, especially in the supply chain. I mean, that's been valuable too, just that communication with those partnerships in Cambria too. So let me ask you this, because I want to pivot to one thing, because when you were there, you said something that blew my mind that I've thought about every week since then. And you've said, none of our clients have our cell phone number. And so for anyone listening, <laughs> this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And I have no idea how that's possible to this day. So how have you been able to achieve that? <laughs> well, we have a great team, Brad. And, and uh, I feel like we, we make it a point right from the start um, to make sure the clients are aware that 
we chose the people that are working with us for a specific reason, and they have superpowers that nobody else in the office has. And um, so there's a reason why we are going to have most of the com- communication between the clients and with our team happening for instance, on co-construct, because we want to document all of those questions and answers and and information that's given in a, in a place where everybody can um, refer to that later so that none of those um, details get lost. Um, and, you know, we also like for our clients to know that we um, have a life outside of of building their dream home. And we have five kids and, and and there's gotta be a point in time where we say the work day is done and we go home and we're with our kids. And, um, so, and I feel the same way with, for our team members. I mean, they, they need to have that, um, opportunity as well. We're, we're not, what, what's the saying? We're not living to work. We're working to live. And so, I mean, we love, we love what we do. Um, but we also know that there's like, downtime that needs to happen so that we can um, be be doing our best work for them. And I think that that's kind of an expectation we set early with our clients. And it's not that we're avoiding them or and I think you maybe your next question is what in case of an emergency, you know, what's our process? And and again, our our online tool, again, not to you know, totally promote co-construct, but again, that that's 24 hours, seven days a week. That thing's there. And, and we do have process in place if there is an emergency there's keywords that we'll pick up on, like the roof is leaking or things like that. Heaven forbid, we haven't <laughs> seen that really much, but we have processes in place where we can act pretty quickly. And again, our vendors are all attached to that. So any comment in co-construct is broadcast to a huge range of people. Whereas, you know, my cell phone, which, you know, who knows, you can Google it. I'm sure anybody could find it, but um, it, it's not going to go as far as it would in our normal chain of, of communication. So. Um, but, but you, Brad, I, I don't know, like you haven't given me your cell phone. I, what's, what's up with that? Like, <laughs> well, I have it. <laughs> oh, okay. Just Emily. I just communicate Inner through circle. Emily Dan. So oh, okay. well, there you go. You'll, you'll, you'll get in that specialized group here shortly. Don't worry. Um, no. And again, if our clients at the end of the job, they get our cell phone number, that means they've reached the peak. Yeah. That means that we'll I will go golfing and go out to dinner. Yeah. I will say from our side, I mean, because I'm doing a lot of our business development and we don't do. Uh, at least right now we're not doing any specs. So it's all bill of suit. And, you know, so a lot of that communication and, and being on the road or, you know, or traveling or other commitments, right. At times there are, you know, it, it's important to give out my cell phone, but, but every company has their own organization. But I will say really the point of this, Dan and Emily, that I think needs to be made is that you have the systems and organization, you're setting the expectations. And so by having the back end support, the clients don't feel out of touch. They don't feel neglected. They don't feel like you're not there. Um, and it's still respectful. And I look at it, you know, we've had clients that right, wrong, and different. I mean, think some of my clients are working uh, maybe in the medical field. So that work all day, they don't have their phone on them. So for them, they come home at nine o'clock and that's when they're catching up, right? Hey, you know, following up on emails or, you know, maybe it's a Saturday evening or Sunday night or they're traveling, you know, they're on business. And so what's difficult is my team, maybe get that text late at night and it can disrupt them. And it may not be malintended by the client, but it comes across that way because of the hours or whatever time. And so, you know, for me, I've set the expectation with our team and we have an amazing team too, that, Hey, here's certain hours that I expect you guys to be available. Right. And then after hours, it's your time. I mean, if you want to respond or there's something urgent, that that's totally up to you. Um, and then we let the clients know that too. Hey, our, our team's available Monday through Friday, this time to this time. 
nights and weekends, you know, they do need that time to disengage. I mean, if there's an emergency, of course, here's our protocol. But but I think that gets down to the the core of it is that we have to create a culture for our company and for our people that they, they're not tied to their phone. Maybe sometimes as business owners we are, but they can't be because they need that health, you know, right state of mind. Yeah. Well, and if I've learned sure. if I've learned anything in the last year and a half, it's that very few things are an actual an emergency, you know? I mean, in the in the general scheme of things, in the in the broader perspective on on what is an actual emergency, like like very few things along the building process are are worth getting upset about. I mean, if something gets installed wrong, we can we can fix that, you know? So it's not like um <clears throat> there needs to be this level of panic. I mean, I know there's a lot of dollars involved, but we try to be that that very calm presence that has had a lot of experience and has seen a lot of things um, maybe, you know, go wrong the first time, but but we've been able to to make those right. Um, and I think, I mean, we always joke that that when the clients are getting really crazy, we bring Dan in because he's the Prozac. Like, there's just something about bringing Dan into the room that immediately like the level of intensity and anxiety just kind of simmers down. And so I think that that, that, that's kind of the um, benefit of having a little bit of separation between you and your clients is that, you know, your team can really do what they're best at. And if something escalates and, and it needs to be something that Dan or I are involved in, then we can step in with that kind of level of of calmness and kind of bring everything back into perspective. I bet your you know your operation, Brad, is when you walk up on the job site and the client sees you, it's like you're the guy. I'm going to talk to you, and then probably and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like and I tell my team this. Um, I when when they start talking to me, slowly they become redundant almost and then they start addressing me and i think man i'm i'm i i i don't know the answer let me talk to the the superpower over here and and my team would know more than i do and and i i don't like to overshadow my team but sometimes i we get this kind of i don't know misty-eyed perception with some of our clients that oh my gosh they're on the job so i'm going to just talk to them and and i don't i don't love that so i'm just there for warm and fuzzies i give hugs i give flowers and cookies and and I get to do some of that that fun PR well, stuff. Well, and but. it really helps if they if they are asking you those questions, and especially if your employee is there to turn to the employee and say, you know, so and so, why what don't do you, you tell think? tell the client, yeah, what yeah. what you think about the situation, and reinforce that you hired this person because they're an expert at what they do, and so let's give them the opportunity to be that expert and not try to step in and save the day all the time. Well, I think that goes back to expectations too. I mean, Dan, you mentioned that, that, you know, from the beginning, there, there's no doubt that t- to be a successful operation, I mean, Emily and Dan, you can't be doing every single task all the time, right? Like there is certain aspects where you're super talented, especially you, Emily, with the design and you're going to drive that. And then, you know, there's a handoff to the field and so forth. And so setting the expectation where, hey, as a company, you know, the client, you get Clark and Co. Homes. I mean, you get the whole brand, everyone involved. And so- Yes, it, I, I'm not your main point of contact all the time. Maybe for a portion of the project or pre-construction process, I will be, or maybe at this aspect of the sales process. But at some point, I do have my, you know, my team in the field, and that's why we are who we are. And so, the more clear we can set that, and then train our team, you know, the more su- successful they'll be, and we can deliver that end product for the client. Absolutely. Yep. No, that's just it. I I feel like 
it makes our job easier when we can put our trust into a team that's that's competent and passionate. And when we visited your operation, we felt that with the same as as your team. You've surrounded yourself with amazing people, and uh, you know that's a that's a a, a blessing, and and we're grateful that we have that. Um, but it just makes it makes us d- doing what we do best that much better that we can entrust that stuff to them and, and continue and do what we do and, you know, keep moving forward. So, so how do you do going back, you know, to that aspect of it? I, most people are struggling with hiring. I know in our builder 21, the thing was, how do you hire good people? Right. And know that they're going to, have you found a secret to success on what you're looking for when you hire someone into the company? Secrets of success? No. Um, but I will tell you, um, we, we, again, we've just been fortunate. And I think it goes back to that comment where we said, we're not just building a house to, to put a family in here and, and call it. Uh, we're, we're looking beyond that and, and the residual uh, effects that it, that would, that creates. So these projects have created a brand. They've created an opportunity to build for a family. They've created an opportunity to build for people all over the country. In addition to that, to answer your question, they've created a brand where people have reached out to us and it resonates where they are uh, convinced that this is the the company that they would like to work for. Uh, I don't know how this works, but we've never had to put a wanted need helps, whatever you call it. I don't even know what you call that. But uh, people have just come to us and we just keep their resumes. And when opportunity arises, we go back to the files and and we get the nicest emails like, I, you know, I don't know that you're hiring, but I just followed you or whatever. And I just admire what Emily does. Nobody ever mentions me, but, you know, they just want to be part of whatever this glamorous image that we produced on social media and, and our products and, and really Google reviews. These clients are just enjoying the process. So, again, a tribute to Emily and what she's produ- produced here. But these the hiring that we've done have just been people that have reached out to us for the most part. And. Uh, or, or people even that we've just worked with and said, you know, we've really enjoyed working. I know you're not working there anymore. Give it some thought. Um, but it's just been a, a, a fortunate uh, turn of events where we've been able to curate a, a great team that and it comes down to the passion and, and the the assimilation with with our ideals of, of the branding and what we're putting together. And creating a home for somebody is such an intimate experience. And, and I feel like we we're able to um show the emotion that goes into this project and through our our portfolio but also some of the the reviews or the client experience that they've had um we're not i'm not that contractor that's hard nosed that's yelling on the job site i've seen those contractors and i vowed never to be that contractor um if my faith teaches me anything it's just it's humility, it's respect, it's love, it's understanding, um, and especially in the world today, we there's so many reasons to be hateful and super critical, and that's one thing that I feel like we do really well as a team, and, and we try to show that that culture in our team that uh, people make mistakes, um, and and we can get past this together, but we're not gonna you know call each other the worst names in the book or whatever. So. It's this whole culture that we, we've tried to create, um, and I think it, it helps us when we need to find talent and bring them in. So we've just been pretty fortunate. Um, we do run a, lit, a thin, thin, lean machine. Yeah. We're not, we don't have a huge um, staff, but, but the ones that we do have, we, 
expect great things, but they also are just a perfect fit for us. We just lost one to Middle Earth, we like to call her. She just <laughs> retired and went to who knows where, but cashed out on her house in Boise and props to her. But we, we sure miss and love her. Um, but we've just been pretty fortunate, I think. Yeah, our our team members really become our family. I mean, like like Dan said, we do run a pretty lean operation. We're pretty slow to hire. Um, and I, w- I would say we're not really hiring specifically for a certain skill set, but more of a type of person that is um, flexible and creative. And um, I think most of the people that are working for us now have, have done a lot of different things within our com- company. We've kind of tried them out in different areas until we really recognized what their superpower was and what they really enjoyed doing and, and would be passionate about and really tried to capitalize on those things. And I think that probably becomes from the fact that neither Dan and I Um, came into this business from uh, an education based in construction or design. I'm a music major. Dan was a communications and marketing major. Excuse me. We we both kind of fell into the construction and and real estate industry. I mean, I've always been passionate about design, but I never really... um, considered that as a as a career opportunity for myself until Dan was already building um and then I sort of naturally moved into it and just really loved it. So I think we recognize that just because a person started out in one field doesn't mean they've got they didn't learn skills in that arena that would really transfer over to what we're doing and be a real asset to our company. I love that. I, I mean that you're- What's that, Dan? You spoke with Mickey, Mickey, a couple episodes ago, and and she brought up a great point where she just she kind of focuses on the talent and what they are able to do. Obviously, you want it, you want them to to do that as as efficiently as possible. But she's not she's not segmenting them really. She's just trying to hone on hone in on their superpowers. We like to call. Uh, I thought she that that basically we're trying to do that same thing that that she expressed in that that episode. I mean, it's such sound advice for anyone listening. I mean, you just think of that culture side that you've both created. And, and as you mentioned, right, you'll, if, if they're the right personality, you'll bring them up and focus on those superpowers and train them in that system. And kind of the unintended benefits of social media, when people are looking at hiring, I mean, if you have a great social media presence and you could dictate your culture and your product and your systems and everything you do so well, I mean, that's going to attract the talent, right? It's going to attract the people to say, we want to be a Dan and Emily. And that's really the whole... Um, the whole message you just shared. And so, I mean, both been so generous with your time. You have an amazing business. I've been so impressed. I mean, just over the years, getting to know you both and um, relied on you for a lot of sound advice, including the cell phone, how I'm going to figure that out. But um, before we close, I mean, (laughs) so what's upcoming and exciting for Clark & Co.? Oh, um, we are right now designing our own um, office building slash venue. So we've kind of come up with a new concept for sort of um, a combination, being able to have a a space that feels like you're walking into one of our homes, um, but is big enough that we could host events there um, that people could rent out the event, the venue for that specific purpose. I think what we were, we were realizing a lot of the times we would have these model homes and we would office out of our model homes a lot and people just love to be there and they just love to linger longer there. And we really wanted to be able to create a place that can stay in a more permanent position and be able to host 
um, activities and um, kind of act as a community center. So maybe we'll have weddings there. And then maybe, you know, who knows, two year, two or three years later, maybe they come to us and ask them to build their first home um, as a couple. I mean, we would love that. We'd love to be a part of their lives. And I think that um, those two kind of just naturally go hand in hand. We're always trying to create in our homes that that feeling of being welcomed and, and that that gracious hospitality. And so I think that um, being able to have a little bit bigger space to enjoy with people will be great. I think everybody is dying to go out to a to party and, and be with each other again. And so I think we are um, kind of uniquely poised to be able to offer that. So we are deep into that design right now. The other part of that is with that, we're trying to more breach the virtual reality side of, of home building and design. So we've, we've, Emily just got back from New York with uh, a series of information on virtual model homes where people can virtually walk through a home that's just been rendered. And, and so we're, we're going down that path where we can take what we've done as far as digital designs and create a, a, a service where people can digitally design their home and render it um, down to, again, because we are design build, we see that there's there's both ends of the design and actually putting it forth. And, and so in our world of construction, we have in co-construct what's called templates. Uh, so we've been starting uh, offering those templates. So any other co-construct or builder trend user can download our templates and it's just turnkey uh, specifications, design work, renderings, uh, so we're really excited about that. But again, it's it's kind of this whole thing that for years, it's the, the contractor with the dog in the back of his truck. We, we have just been reinventing this wheel over and over. And now people are just jumping online on their phones and seeing all the imagery that they want and don't know how to get there. And it's come a long way for sure. But these pieces of this machine, these um we're, we're trying to put all those pieces together, one one stop shopping. So so they're able to just download that template through their contractor um, and and they're off to the races. So we've got some exciting stuff. Obviously, we've got some new concept models. We've got three that are going to be photographed here soon. Um, and we're excited about showing a little bit more of a fresher take on, on some of the things that we've done in the past. So anyway, it's been fun. But I will tell you, Brad, you know this. We may sound like it's all glamorous, but it's not. There's times where we're just like, oh my gosh, get me out of here. I'll go be a checker at the local yeah. Albertsons, whatever. Yep. So, uh, but I'm, I'm always, if anybody needs, like you're saying, mentorship, I feel like one of the biggest things that we can do is share our experience. And that's one of the things that I think we have tried to do is, is volunteer our time or just the experience. If people are trying to get into the business or have questions, that mentorship is is super valuable, obviously down to the education part. We're always pushing for people choosing a career path. College, traditional college is great, but these vocational skills, plumbing, HVAC, electrical, I mean, they're so needed right now um, and they pay well. Uh, we're, we're always advocates of helping people find their educational course through maybe untraditional ways. So uh, reach out. We're we're always here. Again, we we just love to share some of the experiences we've had, the good, bad, and the ugly. But um, we appreciate you having us on the show. You're awesome, and we are super impressed with you. And props to you and your team. Well, thanks, Dan and Emily. And and you left that. Uh, you dangled that carrot there. So, where can the listeners find you now? <laughs> um, you can connect with us on our Instagram um, channel at 
at Clark and Co Homes, all spelled out. Um, also Facebook and Pinterest at that same handle on our website at Clark and Co homes.com and i'm also on linkedin awesome well thank you both dan and emily i can't thank you enough for coming on thanks Thanks, for having us brad so thank you all for tuning into the podcast today and just as a recap if you check the show notes they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss and also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation so if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to they're outlined by the time that we discuss those And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.